Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that have happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards and with me is my colleague, Barnaby King. Hello there. Hello there, colleague. Hello. Co-worker. <laughs> Comrade. Comrade, indeed. Uh, brief apology for us missing a week, but the heatwave took over and... We were in no position to record a podcast episode. No, we were sitting and melting on the sofa. Exactly. So apologies for missing that week, but don't worry, we are back. We are, and it shouldn't get that hot again until next summer. Hopefully so. <laughs> but as the ever-increasing risk of the climate crisis encroaches upon our species, who knows, heat waves may come every few months, every few days, every few hours. No. <laughs> doom, doom upon us all. No, it's fine. <laughs> okay. So, I wanted to tell you a little story today, okay. which I think is true, which I know is a great start for a history podcast. I know, right? What the hell? <laughs> We're basing this on bringing the information to the people. Yes. And you come here with untrue stories. To be fair, I think we've frequently come with stories that may or may not be true. I mean, at the end of last episode, I did talk about how the Burner Street hoax might actually not have existed. Yeah, so this is a similar vibe. Um, cool. This story... You're was... just being more upfront about it, whereas I saved it to the end. Well, this story was written about in a book called... Memoir tire des archives de la police de Paris. Okay. Uh, in other words, uh, stories taken from the archives of the Paris police. I knew that. My French so, is flawless. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so apparently this has been taken from the archives of the Paris police. Right. I think this much is true. Okay. At least other people have gone with it too. The reason I'm not sure it's 100% legit is because it's so dramatic. Okay. It's so dramatic. Um, as in, uh, this was written by a man called Jacques Pouchet, and he yeah. included dialogue. Oh, okay. And Maybe it's just a sort of dramatic retelling, a bit like um, a bit like how Plato wrote his ideas as a conversation between him and Socrates. Yeah, I think that might be what Jacques Pouchet is doing. Mm. But you know, the dialogue is very. It's it's very and twas I on that night, you know, like I see. it's um yeah yeah okay. it's very expositiony yeah. Um, so this was written about in 1838, and he gave it the wonderful title, "The Vengeance and the Diamond." Ooh, I know that's amazing. That sounds like a crime thriller. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I did a lot of research on this one because I kept finding the same story retold over and over and over again. Yeah. Just like the Wikipedia article one. Yeah. And the thing about the Wikipedia article on this is that it has got one reference and nine notes. Oh. The reference is H. Ashton Wolfe, True Stories of Immortal Crimes, 1931. Oh, Okay. H. Ashton Wolfe took it entirely from Jacques Pouchet and changed some things. Oh, right. Um, so, yeah. So I went, absolutely not. I found the original. Ooh. And I have been reading it. There isn't a translated version. Oh, God. It's in French. Oh, no. So I speak reasonable French. I've been going through it with my own knowledge of French and also Google Translate to double check some stuff. Right, yeah. If I make mistakes... That's why. <laughs> sort of start reading it and then suddenly the pen of my aunt is in the corner. Exactly. 
All right, so here's the story. I'm going to take you back to 1807 during the Napoleonic Wars. Cool. And Pierre Picot is a cobbler from Nîmes. Mm-hmm. Um, which is in the south of France. And by the way, it looks gorgeous. We should visit it. Okay, It's sure. the most Roman city outside of Italy. Oh, right. That's it's, cool. It's got its own um, amphitheatre and everything. Oh, still. that's awesome. So he comes from Nîmes and he lived in Paris. And he had four friends who also came from Nîmes and now lived in Paris. And they were gladiators in the amphitheatre. <laughs> they fought to the death for the joy of Napoleon. Now, they were all similarly poor-ish. So he's a cobbler, they don't make loads of money, and he's in debt. He also has four friends who are called Alut, Solari, Schaubert, and Mathieu Lupien. And Mathieu Lupien is going to be our main guy to focus on. He was a local cafe owner. Oh, cool. Some versions of the story say a local innkeeper, but given that he's described as a cafetiere on several occasions, <laughs> I, I think he's a, co- he's a coffee shop house he owner. He is round, cylindrical, and yeah. he has a plunger in him for the coffee. He does. And he's a widower with two children. Right. Now, one day... <laughs> two little coffee beans. Oh, cute. <laughs> one day, Picard goes to his friend's coffee shop, mm-hmm. or possibly in, and says, the best luck has happened to me. I'm getting married on Tuesday. Oh, okay. That's and fast. I know it is, but apparently, you know, you would get married that quickly in those days. Yeah, because, you know, we're being respectable people here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm getting married on Tuesday, and I'm marrying Marguerite. And the coffee shop owner is shocked. He goes, what, the wealthy Marguerite? The one with thousands of, um, oh God, what's the money called in those days? Franks. Franks. The one with thousands of francs to her name. Yes, that Marguerite. And he's incredibly jealous. And so are Alut, Solari and Schaubert. And together they come up with a plan to make sure that they have a chance with Marguerite instead. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. Now, Lupien... Because who cares about what Marguerite thinks? No, no one cares about what Marguerite thinks. They want the money. And also, Marguerite is apparently gorgeous as well. Of course. But she's got a lot of money, so it's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can pay to have people say you're beautiful at that sort of time. Mm-hmm. So Lupien was acquaintances with the police commissioner. And on the day that he found out Picode was going to get married, he gave the police commissioner a letter saying that Picode was a spy for the English. Oh, no. Which was taken very seriously. Yeah. In the middle of the night, the police came for him. And they dragged him out of bed. Right. His parents and friends could not find out what had happened to him. He vanished. Oh, okay. In fact, he had been taken to the fortress of Fenestrel, which is in what is now northern Italy, but at the time was part of the French Empire. Right. He served seven years in prison. Whoa. I know. And during this time, he changed his name to Joseph Lucha. Right. And he worked as a servant to a rich Milanese clergyman. Okay. Who I think was in the prison with him. Right. Because in those days, it was just easier to lock up the priests. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not sure why this clergyman was in prison. Um, but he seems dodging. Probably. He seems to have been abandoned by all of his family, basically. Right. They were just like, meh, he's in prison. We're going to ignore this. Right, I see. Was there any evidence against... Oh God, I'm going to struggle Picode. so Picode. I'm going to struggle so much with the names. Uh, oh yeah. Was there any evidence? Like, did they 
plant anything or was it enough to just claim he's a spy? According to this story, the letter that was given was enough. Right. So I don't actually know what was in this letter. Like maybe they forged a letter that was supposed to have been Pico's from right, like whoever yeah. was his English accomplish, accomplish, accomplice. Yeah. Um, or maybe it was just enough to say, I think this man's a spy and this is why I think so. From the sounds of it just then, it seems like Sean Connery was his <laughs> accomplice. Thank you. <laughs> so, this is clergy... that Pico? He's a spy. <laughs> That's not a bad Sean Connery. That was very good. I'm 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 very impressed with myself. That is one I, like it is surprisingly difficult to do a good Sean Connery. Like it's easy to do a bad Sean Connery, but I'm very proud of myself that just then. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's those little victories that make <laughs> up the day. <laughs> okay. But back to my story. So he's working for this clergyman and he becomes more like a son than a servant. Right. And the clergyman sadly gets ill. And dies on January in January 1814. Right. And is he, this after they're out of prison? No, this is while they're still in they're prison. They're still in prison. Okay. He made Pico his heir. Ah. And also told him where he had secretly hidden his millions worth of treasure. Oh my god. Stop me if you've heard this story before. <laughs> was this prison called Shawshank by any chance? It was not. <laughs> uh, it was called Fenestrelle. All right, so... Yes, but that's the French version. It translates as the shank of the shore. <laughs> Does someone hide treasure in the shore shank redemption? Yeah, they're going to go and find the treasure that he hid. Oh, God, I forget the instructions. It's this whole thing because they're going to meet up afterwards. Oh, yeah. He and Red. I remember they're going to meet up. I just don't remember treasure. I'm sure there is treasure. I'm sure I'm not making that up. Unless I am. <laughs> I, could, I could just be imagining an entire plot line for the Shawshank Redemption. To be fair, I've only ever actually seen it once. Okay. All right. It's not the Shawshank Redemption, okay. is all I'm saying. Right. So, in April of the same year, Napoleon was exiled to Elba. Oh, right. And Louis XVIII took the throne. Yeah. Supported by the English. They were really into this idea. Woo, monarchy! Monarchy! And that meant that Picot is no longer a traitor. Hooray! So he gets released. Hooray! Hooray. As I've said, he went under the name Joseph Lutcher. Now he's got his freedom, he immediately travelled through Turin to Milan, where he found the treasure that had secretly been hidden. Excellent. And then he went on to Amsterdam, Hamburg and London. Where... <laughs> on a booze cruise. <laughs> no, 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 because the, the clergyman had used various banks to keep his money ah. away from his heirs i guess why did this clergyman have this treasure i don't know probably some kind of scam i guess yeah, okay he's selling off fake holy relics or something maybe i don't know if people did that in the 1800s but maybe they did yeah who knows who knows all i know is they do it in blackadder <laughs> <laughs> so this clergyman has loads of money and he's kept it on these various like international banks so amsterdam hamburg and london make sense for this yeah um Pico had made some investments, and in total, he had an income of 600 million francs. Whoa. I know. It's a huge amount. That's impressive. I'm not sure whether that's per year or just generally. Either way, it's yeah. a good amount. So then he returns to Paris in 1815. But at this point, Napoleon returns from exile. Oh, shit, son. I know. And he's like, oh, my God. At this point, he became incredibly ill. Right. 
and had to go to a maison de santé. Now, I've not translated this. Right. Because there's like five different meanings. Okay. Normally, if you look it up now, it says a nursing home. Right. I think it might mean for him, like one of those fancy, like rest places, you know, but I couldn't find an exact thing. It might be a mental institution even, because that's also called a maison de santé. Right. Like it's basically anything that's not actually a hospital where you go for like respite care. Yeah. I'm thinking of it like a sort of wellness retreat spa. Yeah. I think that's what he did. Yeah. Which makes sense because he's trying to avoid Napoleon and he's not sure if the Napoleonic era is going to start again, you know? But um, actually, Napoleon got defeated again in 1815. Hooray! So at this point, his health recovered immediately. <laughs> of course. I mean, to be fair, it could be that he was actually ill because, you know, he would probably be very stressed. That's true. Maybe he did have to go to a mental institution. Yeah. In any case, this is the point where his plot for revenge starts. Amazing. Always good to have a plot for revenge, especially oh, yeah. if you got tons of money. Yeah. So... He asked around for Antoine Alou, who was one of his friends from mm-hmm. before the arrest. Once he found him, he approached him in the guise of a monk. Amazing. Well, he's and... had a lot of experience <laughs> hanging around the clergy. That's true. He knows all the things to do. He knows all the secret hand signs that they all make to each other. Do they? Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's this one that they do to just recognise that, you know, they're friendly and they're not about to stab each other, mm-hmm. which is they make a sort of butterfly with their hands. Oh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> but now you know the secret, so I will have to kill you. Oh, that's fine. So he approaches him in the guise of a monk and, you know, tells him this story that he's heard of um, because Picode had died in 1811 while he was still in prison for a crime he did not commit. Of course. And gave him a diamond ring. Uh, which he was to give to um, one of his friends in exchange for the name of those who had betrayed him. Ooh. And Antoine Alou um, goes for it. He goes for the diamond ring, especially because his wife is so evil and d- demands money. Right. In the end, they ended up selling it for under its value to a um, <laughs> to a jeweler and became very broke as a result. Right. This okay. becomes important. Yeah. So he gives over the names of those who have betrayed him. And it's all his friends from Nîmes who used to meet at the coffee shop. Of course. Oh, no. I'm really starting to doubt this story is true. (laughs) It's got such a narrative arc to it. Like, I know sometimes that does happen in real life, but this just sounds like bollocks. I know, I know. (laughs) Um, So after this, an elderly lady approached Lupien's café and asked if one of those who had been wronged in the war of 1814 to 1815 could have a job there. His name was Prosper, and he wanted to become a lemonade servant. Oh, that's so cute. It's called like a limonadier or something. Right. And it literally just means the person who makes lemonade. Oh. Or like a lemonade waiter. I don't know. He's got like a little stall with the E backwards on lemonade. (laughs) (laughs) Like all those like American things. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) So uh, he he is called Prosper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a very gaunt and decrepit looking fellow. Hey, my name may be Prosper, but I'm not prosperous right now. Can I sell some lemonade for you? Exactly. So Lupien and his wife, like, they take a squint at him. They're like, who is this guy? Um, but they don't recognize him. They go, sure, you can become our lemonade waiter. <laughs> 
So at this time, it turns out that Solari and Shobar still frequented the cafe regularly. Of course. But one day, Shobar did not come to the cafe. <gasps> On the next day, he still hadn't appeared. Oh, this no. was very unusual for him. So Solari went to look for him. And he found him. Turns out he'd just taken a small rambling holiday. No. Everyone was fine. <laughs> no, he found his body. Hooray! Which had been stabbed through with a knife. A sharpened slice of lemon. A knife which had number one written on the handle. Oh my god. What is this, Sherlock Holmes story or some shit? This is before <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. This oh god, was written is, down in 1838. Yeah. Oh my god. So the police investigated... At around this time, an enemy of Lupian came into the cafe to mock him for one of his friends dying. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which Class is a act, right? Yeah. Um, this enemy, though, was a courier who had been seen in Strasbourg at the time of the murder. So definitely no. Yeah. But he does say, I'm here to deliver you this knife. Stabs him. <laughs> Says number two on it. Yeah, of course. Two weeks later, Madame Lupian's favourite parrot... Was also murdered. Oh my... The parrot? The parrot. The parrot is not involved. <laughs> I know. What did the parrot do? Did the parrot recite the fraudulent letter or some shit? Like... No, I, I'm pretty sure Madame Lupien was supposed to be um, Marguerite. Ah. But it's hard to say because later on her name is Therese in the story, so I don't know. <laughs> Okay, right, yeah. I did my best with this. Uh, no, that, that, I, I, don't, I don't begrudge you this at all, but it's just... I just, I'm blown away by how 100% real this story it's is. It's so real. <laughs> so, um, do you want to know how this parrot was murdered? Poisoned cuttlefish. Almonds and parsley. <laughs> God, I mean, I said that as a joke. I know you did. Amazing, right. Okay, then comes my least favourite part of the story. Okay. Um, so, Lupien, as I mentioned, had two children from his first marriage. I am very worried now. Uh, one of them was a daughter, I'm and she's now 16. Oh, I'm extremely worried now. She was seduced by a man oh, no. who claimed to be a marquis. Oh. She became pregnant. Oh, Pico. I don't think this was Pico. Oh. Um, he married her, right. this man, but then did not turn up for the dinner that he had ordered to celebrate. Right. At dessert... The servants put a letter on the plates of each of the guests, explaining that the groom was, in fact, an escaped galley slave. Oh, And therefore had been a criminal. Right. Which, like, I don't know, weird way to dine and dash, what can I say? Yeah, okay, I'm I'm so confused. (laughs) Okay, explain your confusion. I mean, I thought this was all Picot doing this. I think Picot organised this. Right, okay. So, okay. He got some other guy, because they now know Prosper. Right, okay, and that is Picot. That is Picot. I, I, I know we didn't explicitly say it, yeah. but like, that was Picot. We know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, cool. So yeah, I think this guy is some handsome guy right? who looks like he could be wealthy. Yeah. Then it turns out he's a criminal. Yeah, okay, fine. But he's seduced the beautiful 16-year-old daughter of Lupien. Grim. I know, very grim. After this, the Lupians took a holiday in the countryside, which I can really understand. I would totally want to do that yeah. immediately after all of this went down. <laughs> like, the hell is all this? You know what? We're going to bugger off. Yeah, really. <laughs> While they were away, and this is four days after the wedding, yeah. 
The cafe and the apartment above were set on fire. <laughs> All of their goods were destroyed. Yeah. And their friends abandoned them. Which of I think course. means they didn't, like, help them out at yeah. that point. Well, to be fair, they weren't there. No. <laughs> Only Prosper was still loyal to them. Oh, okay. And, you know, decent. Twist. And promised to serve them without pay. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Like, Prosper, are you sure? Don't you need money? I was like, no, I'm fabulously wealthy. I uh, mean... No, uh, no, I'm no, fine. Yeah, I, I have some savings. I will savings. work for bread. Yeah. <laughs> so... I'll sell some lemonade on the side yeah. just to make ends meet. <laughs> so Lupia was able to set up a new cafe, like a more modest one, and Solari still visited it, his okay. now only remaining friend. Yeah. But one day, after drinking some beer at the cafe... Mm-hmm. Solari complained of a terrible stomachache. They called a doctor, who discovered that he had been poisoned. I mean, we're thinking early 1800s doctor, so yeah. I'm not sure that he would have been in any, any help in any situation, really. He may well have accidentally poisoned him, checking to see if he was poisoned. <laughs> Could be. Hours later, Solari was dead. Yeah, makes sense. On his coffin. A paper was left, which said number two. <laughs> it said number 2.5, because two was the parrot. That's true, we're an, ignoring the parrot. An almond in, that was still stuck in the beak <laughs> had the number two carved in it. Amazing. Okay. But this is not the end of the dreadful things that became the Lupian family. I'm sorry, I... I really should have said number three. I don't know why you I don't decided know why... that the parrot is a hull. <laughs> no, I, that's the thing. I've clearly decided the parrot is a hull. Yeah. And this guy is a half. <laughs> because I, Yeah, because I said he was 2.5. That's and true. the parrot was two. <laughs> the parrot was the real, you know, target of the revenge. <laughs> the parrot got me i'm gonna say the parrot <laughs> so, really got me that is really weird yeah so weird okay it's such a weird bit of revenge especially because it wasn't all of madame lupien's parrots right it was her favorite parrot oh she had multiple i parrots. think she had more than one. <laughs> oh my god so he killed just her favorite parrot granted oh. the rest of the parrots might have died in the fire but oh, i don't no. know I like to imagine that they managed to get free and fled for warmer climate and create a little colony of parrots. Yeah. And they had their martyred parrot Jesus. <laughs> well, every um, every Sunday they celebrate by eating something that is very similar to almonds, but not deadly. Yes, absolutely. These are my almonds, broken for you. <laughs> Parsley is forbidden, though. Oh, yes, yeah. So, Lupien's son, because I've then mentioned what happened to one of his children. That's true. Lupien's son had become a wastrel. <gasps> he was encouraged by his gang of no good friends to take part in a prank. I mean, this makes sense because, you know, his time would have been spent with other things like setting up lemonade stalls, but that's the market's been cornered. That's true. So what's he going to do but turn to crime? They decided to break into a liquor store Excellent. Steal six bottles, drink them all, and then pay for them the next day. Great prank, bro! <laughs> oh my god. Okay, firstly, teenagers don't change, do no, they? No, they don't. <laughs> and secondly, yeah, wow, what a prank. It's great. It's a good one. So young Master Lupian thought that this was a great plan. But the police had been informed. <gasps> 
and arrested the lot of them immediately. As soon as he'd got two bottles of liquor into his pockets, they were arrested. <laughs> they received a tip-off from a man called Crosper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he served 20 years in prison. What? I know. 20 years? Yeah, for the theft of alcohol. Pico got seven for being a spy. He would have been in there forever. Oh, right. It's okay. just he got seven because he was let out. Oh, When right. being a spy for the British suddenly became a good thing instead of a bad thing. That does make more sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's harsh for everyone, not just particularly harsh for those who steal liquor. No. <laughs> okay. It's harsh for everyone. Yeah. Hence the revolution in the first place. Yeah, makes sense. So at this point, the Lupian's downfall was complete. Madame Lupian, who might have been... Madeleine, like I said. Marguerite. Marguerite, sorry. Madame Lupien, who might have been Marguerite, like I said, died of grief. Right. And as a result, Monsieur Lupien wasn't able to claim the rest of her dowry. Because she left it all to her favourite parrot. Probably. He has now died. <laughs> he has <laughs> now, now died. died. So it's now been equally distributed amongst the remaining parrots. What, like in um, the Aristocats? Yes. <laughs> but with parrots. Yes. <laughs> Actually, that would be amazing. That would be great. I want to see that now. Yeah. <laughs> And then Mademoiselle Lupien had to become a courtesan in order to support her father. Of course. Of course. Yeah, because that's how the story must go. Yes. So. <laughs> I just, sorry, I'm just once again blown away with how real this it's all so is. It's so real, guys. <laughs> <laughs> One night, Monsieur Lupien was walking in the Tuyers Garden, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, when he was approached by a man in a mask who asked him, if he remembered 1807 and what he had done to Picot. <gasps> the man in the mask revealed that he was Picot <gasps> and it was he who had done everything to ruin Lupien's life. And Lupien was like, yeah, I know. Your disguise <laughs> was really obvious. Yeah, it was really obvious, <laughs> yeah. Then he stabbed Lupien. Oh no. Killing him instantly. Oh wow, okay. I know. Okay, no, no real villain speech then, just a sort of uh, okay, he did do a villain speech. It's really long and in French. I didn't <laughs> okay. translate it. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Is that okay? No, I'm no, sorry. That, that's absolutely fine. It's just I was hoping like the story, the way the story should go, is that he gives a big oh, villain. speech It's a very big villain speech. It's kind of like, and it was I who um, told the police that your son would be in that yeah. liquor store, and it was I for whom your daughter has now become a courtesan. Yeah, which for seven years I waited, I dreamed of this day, I plotted, I planned, and yeah. he mostly just lists all of the things that he did. Yeah, rather than being like. <laughs> Never again to walk on a summer's day. <laughs> I like to imagine he listed literally everything he did while he pretending does. to be Prosper. No, I'm including like all the mundane stuff. It's like, and then I got up and I had a cup of coffee. And then I made some lemonade. <laughs> Using slightly less sugar than I should have done. <gasps> you monster. <laughs> that is why your lemonade business has failed. <laughs> so... After killing Lupien, yeah, he was grabbed oh. immediately. Okay, by an iron hand. Okay, the and iron hand of justice. No. Oh, okay. It was not a policeman. Right. It was a man who knew him by his name. Ooh. It was Alut, who we saw before. <gasps> of course. Of course. He knew everything. He knew what Picot had been doing this whole time, probably because he heard the speech. I mean, yeah. <laughs> 
I'm not sure how he knew where Pico was. He was just wandering by. I Pure guess. happenstance. Sure. He kidnapped Pico. Oh, wow. And okay. held him hostage because he wanted to get part of Pico's massive fortune and was hoping that the fact he had everything on Pico would help him to do this. Yeah. He tortured him through starvation. Oh, my God. For something like 36 hours. Okay. Right. Yeah. He was very hungry. I mean, He's like, I'm so hungry. Please give me some food. <laughs> 36 hours is not very long. No, go. I know. <laughs> At this point, though, Pico was like, I am going to die and you'll never know where my treasure is and then like <laughs> smiles at him right um and as a result alu flew into a rage with his hostage stabbed him in the eye and the intestines oh at the same time with the same knife no he bit him first then what? He, then he stabbed him in the eye he bit him he bit him oh my god <laughs> which is uh, one of those details that makes me think maybe this is real yeah Maybe he thought that, you know, he was made of money. <laughs> Could be. That's what happens you when gold? you become rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like those, those those videos of like, is this thing cake or not? It's like, is this person actually made of gold? I mean, it would be great if Pico was actually made of cake. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> Il est le gâteau. <laughs> um, and fled to England. He fled to England. Adam. Yeah. Um. On his deathbed in 1828, he confessed the whole thing to a French priest. Oh, damn. Who was so shocked by this confession, understandably, that he wrote it down and sent it to the police in Paris. Hence why we have the story. And the police were like, oh, this is a cracking crime novel. Not sure why they sent it to (laughs) us. We'll send it along to a publisher. (laughs) The priest claimed that even in confession, Alud would not say how he knew what Picot had been doing, except to say that he had heard the dead speak. <gasps> right, but, I mean, he had also heard the living speak because Picot gave a very long speech about that's everything true, he'd that's done, true. where he confessed everything. This is not the time to be making, you know, dramatic statements. Just be very clear about these things. Yeah. I mean, sure, yes. Now, Monsieur Gendarme, don't you want the statement to have a dramatic arc? (laughs) Now, you haven't spotted what's like why this is so fictional, right? Or why you feel this is so fictional. Okay. Um, so don't tell me what I feel. (laughs) I'm I'm going, you've been telling me the whole time that this is made up bullshit. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so I'm going to tell you the H. Ashton Wolf version, right? To see if you get it. Because you will. Okay. I hope so. It's going to be embarrassing if I don't now. So, in H. Ashton Wolf's story, it's basically the same, except that during Pico's imprisonment in the fortress, right. the way that he found the clergyman, who yeah. in this version of the story is called Father Tori, was that he dug a small passageway into a neighboring cell. While right. he was in prison. And then he found this wealthy Italian priest. A year later, he told him where the treasure was. He didn't bequeath him any, anything else. Right. So it was after his escape that he went and got the treasure and then went on his revenge streak. Right. So have you heard a story before where somebody is imprisoned under false reasons, digs a tunnel or has a tunnel dug to them, Within that fortress, all of this taking place in France, and gets a treasure, 
and becomes very wealthy. No. Do I? Okay. Is this the Count of Monte Cristo? Yes. Right, okay. <laughs> so this is the Count of Monte Cristo. This is the Count of Monte Cristo. Right, which was written before or after this? Which was written after this right. because it turns out that Duma is just like a massive copycat. Oh. So the whole story I just told you isn't the Count of Monte Cristo. It's the memoirs of the archives of the police de Paris yeah. by Jacques Pochet. Um, written in 1838. The Count of Monte Cristo was written in 1844. Right. And there are some changes. Yeah. Such as making him a count. Right, The fact that he doesn't go around just stabbing people. Yeah. I think I was very hung up on the later part of the story (laughs) there. (laughs) But the whole, I don't remember in the Count of Monte Cristo him running a lemonade store. No, he doesn't. (laughs) That's not what this guy was doing anyway. I know, but that's what I've got in my head. It will not be shifted. That's fair. No, so the idea is, so apparently Dumas um, was thought of as basically kind of a shitty writer, like a generic writer, I guess, like back in the day. Damn. I know. Well, it's around the time when you get all of those philosophical French writers, you know, who write sort of like beautiful things that are based on ideas and what it means to be a person. And Dumas was just like, I've got a cracking story here. Yeah. Meanwhile, Dumas like, I'm going to do an adventure. (laughs) There were these musketeers, all right? And there were two of them. No, three of them. (laughs) There was a man in an iron mask. Wait, that was true. There was a man in an iron mask. Well, there was a man in an iron mask, okay? That <laughs> one is he, also true, by the way. And he had iron shoes as well. <laughs> Duma, that's going a bit far. Fine, just the mask then. Yeah. Stifle my creativity. So apparently Duma was seen as this like romantic writer. Yeah. And apparently in France, romantic means like, like in Shakespeare when things are just like a little bit melodramatic yeah and so a lot of authors were like he's a bit crap isn't he he's going around (laughs) getting his ideas from all these different places yeah like the police archives and he read this story and was like that is fantastic let's do that and no bastard has read this so i'm going to write yeah exactly Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in the pod. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and run a lemonade stall of vengeance. Bye!